Hello and welcome to Adaptation Inspiration, a climate change podcast series to inspire and inform decision making in a changing climate. The show is produced by the Resilience by Design Lab as a part of the Inspiring Climate Action Project. The show features stories, insights, and practices from multi generational experts across the globe. Tune in here to discover how you can adapt your work and life to build the resilience you'll need for the climate of the future. This episode is the first of the series, and we'll talk about what we mean when we say adaptation. Hey, and thanks for listening. My name is Tina Rosing, uh, and I am. I was born Danish, but I am now a dual citizen. I'm Canadian. And I've done environmental work for the last 25 years, but focused primarily, uh, almost exclusively, on climate change adaptation since 2005. My name is Robert Lepage. I'm a building science engineer with RDH Building Science. My name is Lo Chang. I am the executive director of the Canadian Centre for Climate Services, which is a federal government initiative. Um, So I am actually with Environment and Climate Change Canada. I'm Kyla Milne. My background is in international development, uh, environmental economics. I was looking at the full cost accounting of energy systems in Nova Scotia. To me, climate adaptation is the other side of the coin, where mitigation deals with the, the root cause of the problem, in other words, emissions. Adaptation is dealing with the damage that's already done and will continue to happen. Adaptation to me is about building resilience. It's about that we are not boxing ourselves into a corner, so to speak, that we are become flexible and, and agile and used to the fact that the future is, is becoming more and more uncertain. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of, well, especially uncertainty about information and what we are really dealing with. So we need to accept the fact that things are changing and probably will increase to do so. So adaptation is a continuous process about f- behavioral change fundamentally. I think adaptation is becoming more resilient. Um, I've worked in the climate change world for a long time. Um, Most of it spent in the climate mitigation um, and quantifying greenhouse gases. I'm an environmental engineer, so I come at this a very technical view. Um, And I think the adaptation world puts it into practice great, we need to reduce our greenhouse gases. Those are our practices. But alongside that, the environment has changed. The climate has changed. Even if we are able to stop producing any greenhouse gases, we are still going to need to adapt. What is it that we need to do to keep our quality of life or get a better quality of life? So I think adaptation in, in the whole realm of this is very much a social way of, way of life. Um, what is important to you? Is it your culture? Is it your environmental footprint? Is it the services a municipality needs to provide to have the quality of life for, for its citizens and so on? But it's really around the, the quality of life, the, the way you want to have um, to, to continue. There's two types of adaptation, uh, as I understand it. There's a proactive, which is let's do something beforehand, before we really need it, and then there's the reactive, which is like something's not working, we need to fix it. Um, Generally speaking, the proactive approach seems to be what most people understand as being uh, adaptation. And the key component for adaptation, I think, is um, thinking into the future. So my name is Katie Hayes. Uh, So I navigate 
both the environmental sciences and health and noting that adaptation means very different things in those spaces as well as mental health. So adaptation for me means coping and thriving in our changing climate. Um, and a word that I actually prefer than adaptation is resilience. And oftentimes resilience and adaptation are seen as synonymous. But what I see as um, what sets them apart is actually resilience focuses on addressing health inequities and transforming the way that we do health and health care. So adaptation many times can mean bouncing back, whereas resilience in so many ways means bouncing forward and addressing health inequities, environmental inequities, and injustices, and climate injustice in a fulsome way. And so I see that work in health, you can't have adaptation without this sense of resilience. Are we not looking at rebuilding for communities that hadn't had safe housing beforehand or access to care? I think resilience pushes us to that next level if we're going to be really forward thinking that we have to have that in mind, that we have to address all of these these inequities that had existed before. Otherwise, what's the point in bouncing back to the same state, right? We need to, to kind of push the envelope and continue to move forward. Oh, I think we should take this as an amazing opportunity to, to start changing paradigms. I think we have some amazing opportunities to get into innovation and and embrace change in a positive manner. It means breaking down silos, meaning communicating with people we normally don't communicate with, listen in a very different way than most of us are, are used to, in other words, actively listening to, to ideas, but also not throw the baby out with the bathwater because we have, as people, we have this tendency to always like, we need to do something new and different. But there's a lot of things we have done in the past that, like traditional knowledge, for instance, that are just as valid today. The biggest aha moment that catches a lot of people off guard is that the present is already different than the past. And the issue that a lot of engineers and consultants are dealing with is that we're still using historical data to design current uh, infrastructure. A brand new building that's built today is already maladapted. Climate change is like a super tanker. When you stop, a super, if you shut off the engine on a super tanker, it takes 15 kilometers for it to stop. And climate change is the exact same motion that if we stopped all global emissions the day to day, we are not going to see the damage, the final damage, until probably five, ten years down the line, because the damage we are dealing with today was caused five, ten years ago. So there's a lack in reaction. We are looking at different sectors, but what is really beautiful in this process is that we are also having a, you know, an, an outreach to the community. So we are using this whole process to build understanding within the entire island community that we are all in this together and that, you know, that we, we had differential needs. In other words, some people can afford to drive an electrical car, but a single mother with three kids who are working three part-time jobs to make it work, she can't. So we need to figure out how we do public transportation in a way that will help her become more resilient and cut her carbon emissions. But to give you a concrete example, we are working with some of the small farmers on the island because we are thinking about how can we become more food secure and also self sufficient on the island so we are bringing the farmers together and essentially working with them to see what is it that you need to become more resilient not just as a as one farmer individual but as a community on the island you know is there different ways that you guys can pool your resources building capacity means listening to all voices 
and working across disciplines, which is very humbling and uh, very difficult to do because we have a tendency to work in silos but the more that we start to address these issues like things like eco-anxiety which many of us at this conference are feeling (laughs) because we're confronted by the climate change problem day in and day out um, that it's going to require an openness and an honesty that we maybe haven't uh, experienced before to focus on with our limited resources is going out and really enhancing the capacity that's already there, helping to bring in climate change considerations. So we build a team of people within first within the provincial departments that we want to work with. And so we go out to different departments and we just say, are you interested in, in kind of engaging in a long-term relationship really with us on thinking through and working through these issues? And if you are, then kind of working with them to build a team of people from across their department who do a series of workshops with a coordinator based out of our climate change unit. And that coordinator takes them through um, workshops looking at, you know, what are the climate change issues for your organization? What are the values that you have? What are you trying to operationally achieve over the um, coming immediate years and then decades? And how might climate change impact that vision? And so just that as a starting point is very different conversation than what we would have gone out, which was probably compartmentalizing issues and trying to do very technical projects on some aspects. So this is a much broader conversation and a kind of step back for everybody. I think I'm really fascinated by change and how we respond to change as human beings. Um, And also how ecosystems um, and species have responded to change over time. And I just, I find that fascinating concept and um, and so I, I guess I was drawn to adaptation because it's to me it's a it's a social process it's very people oriented and um, I mean of course it's also got the nature-based ecosystem-based components too um, but it, it really is how do you build the capacity of people to respond effectively to change. The responsibility f- for adapting and mitigating to climate change starts and ends with you. <laughs> I have no idea what it actually According means, but, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, like, yeah, we, we do have, a, I mean, at a personal responsibility level, like we could do little things. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it'll necessarily manifest itself into larger, larger changes, um, but voting for representatives who do accept the evidence uh, instead of denying it, Um, voting for politicians or getting involved in uh, municipal levels, uh, writing to politicians, um, you know, uh, just getting involved politically seems to be the most powerful thing that we can do at this point in time Um, because doing it on a small personal level can help create change within your small network and personal groups. I feel as if once you start getting government invested, have like skin in the game, so to speak, then I feel that that could result in faster and a greater degree of communication, so the importance of, of this issue. But then we see someone like Greta Thun- Thunberg from my neighboring country, and I was like, well, you know, I have a tremendous amount of faith in in youth and I love how they cut through the red tape and cut the crap and, you know, just say things how it is and I find it super inspiring and I was like, I'm just, I'm going to be there for them, I'm going to help them and then get out of the way so that we can 
cultivate you know a much more collaborative and 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 positive attitude going going forward and there are opportunities we can choose to look at climate change as a train wreck or we can choose to say we have to innovate we have to try we have to get away from a culture of fear failure and redefine what failure is and look at it as hey i'm trying and this worked but this didn't so let's not do that again but at least we can move in a different direction because often the antidote to apathy is action and so you know we're not going to get to that state alone and it's going to require a lot of again humility a sense of vulnerability a sense of sharing a sense of um, deep concern and engagement and then moving towards action all the things you learn in preschool pretty much how to share how to play well with each other oh you have no idea you know the basics the basics of humanity are going to be fundamental to our wellness (laughs) and it's it's unfortunate that it has taken such an existential crisis to bring us to this point of let's get simple let's let's build our communities let's share let's acknowledge each other let's build up the voices that are often not heard in these spaces and learn from and with everyone in the room it's like okay it's no longer a question of what like is it should we do something but what are we going to do and then having the will of the people behind canada to take action net zero by 2050 Carbon neutral society by 2050 has to be transformational. No way we'll reach it if it isn't. So it's it's it, it's exciting, but it is daunting. It is scary. How do we do that? And no, I wouldn't say that anyone has the answer. And it's by working together and communicating and um, um, just the the desire to solve it. And like deep down, I feel that we've moved beyond the question. Um, now the question is, what are we going to do about it? And, and now let's attack this part of it or this with more urgency uh, of working together. Thanks again for listening to this episode. And hopefully you're coming away with some insights into the different ways of seeing climate adaptation and what adaptation can look like from mental health to political will to community engagement and more. Our next episode will be coming out in two weeks and will be shared on the Resilience by Design and Inspiring Climate Action social media platforms on the World Wide Web. Thanks again for tuning in here, and on behalf of the team, we wish you well.